0: This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome to the Lung Science Podcast. My name is Eric Morel, and I'm an assistant professor in the Division of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Medicine at the University of Washington. With me to discuss what happens during an NIH study section is Dr. Jean Karstea, who is the chief of the Respiratory, Cardiac, and Circulatory Sciences Review Branch at the NIH. Dr. Karstea earned his PhD in Microbiology from Clemson University. From 1989 to 1997, he was a research fellow within the Developmental and Metabolic Neurology Branch at the National Institute of Neurologic Disorders and Stroke. He has made multiple major scientific discoveries including identifying the NPC1 gene, which is responsible for Neiman-Pick disease type C. He has a broad range of experiences, including working with industry prior to returning to the NIH. Dr. Karsty, thank you so much for joining us this morning.
0: It's my pleasure to be here.
1: So we'll get started. Could you just give us a brief overview of what happens during an NIH study section meeting?
0: Absolutely. And it's probably best to start off with the mission of uh, peer review at the NIH. So peer review was designed as a means for the NIH to identify the most impactful research for the purpose of advancing both national and global science, and that includes basic translational and clinical science. And these are all geared toward improving human health. So when applications arrive at the NIH, we identify study sections, which are best aligned with the proposed science. In short, the goal of study section review is to generate evaluations. These evaluations will focus on several basic things. Number one, we want to identify the significance or or the importance of research goals uh, and their potential for high impact. And we call that, should it be done? And number two, the likelihood for the proposed research to be successfully completed. And we refer to that as, can it be done? So, the whole process begins when applications arrive to a study section. The SRO is responsible for identifying and recruiting experts. These are thought leaders from the scientific community. And the SROs will also prepare the study section reviewers by setting expectations for study section evaluation. This supports consistency in evaluation. So, the SRO will then make reviewer assignments. And in typical study sections, three reviewers are assigned to each application. The reviewers will have somewhere between four and six weeks to generate their critiques. These critiques will consist of evaluative comments accompanied by preliminary overall impact scores. These these preliminary scores are independently generated by each of the assigned reviewers. So about a week before the study section meeting, the SRO will rank the applications based on the average of the three overall impact scores, and the top 50% will be discussed during the meeting. So who attends these meetings? Well, there's several categories. Number one, there's the reviewers on the panel, and then there's the chair, and then there's the SRO. And actually the chair is really one of the panel experts. It's one of the reviewers who leads the scientific discussion of the application. So the SRO is responsible for overseeing the fair process of the discussion while the chair, make certain that all evaluative points related to this, should it be done and can it be done can come out. And the chair gives all panel members an opportunity to weigh in on their opinions. And the final overall impact scores are generated by all the members of the panel, not just the three assigned reviewers. So that's that's a, a, a nutshell of, of what happens in a, in, in a review meeting.
1: That's a great overview. And just to kind of clarify, you said half of every review panel will get discussed and half don't. Could you sort of elaborate more on that? But everyone gets comments, right?
0: Everybody gets comments. So following a a complete critique being generated for for each application, a complete critique meaning comments from three assigned reviewers and the scores, the scores are lined up so that the top scoring ones continue the the evaluation and be discussed in a panel where the others simply contain the comments generated by the the, the, the reviewers and be sent off to the applicants as well as to the uh, funding institutes for evaluation there, but they will not be discussed.
1: Yeah. That was a great overview. Thank you. I wanted to get a little bit more into the to the scoring. And you had mentioned sort of two things you had mentioned, you know, kind of significance. Should it be done? And then the second thing, I can't remember what you said, but can it be done? Exactly. And I know that there's sort of five. If you go to the NIH website, there's sort of five main review criteria that are sort of done. And I was curious, are there some that are more important than others? We, we hear this term you had mentioned impact score. And I think that that's the kind of final score. What is that? And how does that relate to those five criteria? Could you kind of elaborate on that?
0: Absolutely. That, that's, that's great. So for the typical NIH research grant application, there are five core review criteria. And this is designed to, to inform clarity in determining this business of should it be done and can it be done. So the five criteria are significance, the investigators, innovation, approach, and the environment. So, one by each there. Significance speaks to the importance of the goals of the application. If the goals of the application are achieved as proposed, what's the level of impact on the research field that, that comes of this? And that is, the, should not be done? Should the NIH be interested in in that regard? Investigator speaks to the execution of the research. The investigators are evaluated in the context of carrying out the current proposed research project. Innovation, the reviewers can comment on novel aspects of the application, that is either conceptual innovation or technical innovation of the project. And a bro- approach uh, speaks to the experimental plan. It, it evaluates if executed as proposed, can they accomplish the goals of the application? So we ask everyone to think about, are there strengths which enhance chances for success? And are there weaknesses which uh, challenge the ability to complete the goals of the application as proposed? And the environment it, uh, speaks to the investigator's lab and those of the collaborators. It's the environment of this proposed project. So do they have resources required to carry out a proposed research? So environment can be even more impactful at smaller universities than a candidate at a bigger university because it focuses on the, the lab that's being conducted there. Now. At the end of all this, we do talk about, as you mentioned, the overall impact paragraph and the overall impact. So it's designed as a statement which conveys the balance between the goals of the project, should it be done, and the execution of the project, can it be done? So reviewers are specifically asked not to generate a mathematical formula of of the five core criteria. But based on each of the criteria, they can weigh them out as they see as being most important for this particular application.
1: Thank you. That was very, very clear. Related to that, many of our listeners in the audience are trainees, you know, students, md students, postdoctoral people, and that sort of thing that apply for things like F32s and K awards. Are those types of training grants reviewed differently than other types of grants, you know, sort of like independent investigator like R01s? Sure, sure. And and I can speak probably best to fellowship applications,
0: but really it does speak to to both the F applications as well as the K applications. So there are five criteria, but they are a little bit different for these, but they do incorporate the the concept of the five described for the training grants, and and I'll get into them. But the goal of training application really is to assess the likelihood that proposed training will enhance the investigator's potential to be successful in the future to be independent to be productive in their own research career so it takes into account the key components of a training program and that is Number one, the qualities and accomplishments of the applicant themselves. It's the importance and significance of the general area of science. Is, is the area of science seen as being an area that can impact science in general? It's, it's the mentor and the mentor team and the plan that they have outlined to, to provide to, to this entire program. And it's also the research proposal itself. But, but the research proposal proposal is viewed in the context of training and preparing for a research career. So the actual five criteria that you'll see on the critique template is fellowship applicant, the sponsors, collaborators, and consultants, which includes the developmental program that they put together to to provide to the the applicant and and to the training experience. To the research training plan itself, it's the research proposal. And it's also the training potential and the training potential is something that it's it's the magnitude of growth expected by this program in, in other words it's, it's the delta between the skills and, and knowledge and abilities that the applicant brings in and what they are expected to leave so if, if you have you know just a, a stellar a, a wonderful applicant coming in and chooses to do something right along kind of the next step of their own field that may not be seen as, as as a strong program, as opposed to someone that comes in with a certain set of skills and tries to acquire something completely different and take off like that. That combination sometimes the training potential will be will be higher.
1: And very- and also the
0: institutional environment and commitment to training is along the lines of environment for the other one. There, what's the commitment of the, of the institution?
1: Yeah, so it's a, yeah, they truly are training grants and it's sort of yeah. Correct.
0: Correct. Absolutely.
1: So you've kind of talked about what happens at study section what goes into the scoring the difference between training grants and other types of grants so let's say you know you submit your application it's reviewed at a study section you get a score and then i guess the question is now what and we hear these terms there's study section and then there's advisory council that happens sometimes afterwards can you kind of comment on sort of what that throughput is or what that process is
0: absolutely no it's So it's important to remember that peer review at the NIH is a series of 2 stages. Number one, CSR, or the review side, reviews for scientific merit, that's considered stage one. So CSR, and uh, our our group, is stage one, and it's the merit review of the proposed research. Stage one will culminate in a study section meeting, as we described before, with scores, percentiles, and evaluative summaries that are sent to and, and will advise the funding institutes. And the funding institutes, they represent stage two. And so the summary statements that we produce go to initially to the program officers, who's kind of our representative on the other side, SROs and program officers. And within their business units, they will determine which applications will be awarded. So each individual funding institute will have their own way of determining awards. And I can talk about that in in just a second as well. But awards are based typically on the score and the percentile and also the evaluative summary uh, of of what the the thought leaders from, from stage one thought. And then also the programmatic priorities from the funding institute, what they think are important, that gets factored in as well. So it's not always just pure scores. It's what each institute thinks of as being important. So decisions are ultimately made and finalized in their version of a study section, which is the advisory council. So that's that's the two stages of, of review. And as a side note, it's important to remember that the National Institutes has an S of health. It has 27 institutes and centers. 24 of them will support research. They will award research grants. And, and CSR is one of the three that does not. We're, we're, we're kind of on the side there. So depending on which funding institute receives the application, it will go to their individual advisory panel. So if there's 24 institutes and centers, there's typically 24 ways that, that these institutes and centers look at how to fund uh, awards.
1: Thank you very much. That really clarifies something and I think is con- Fusing to many people. Absolutely. No. I, and, and we hear that all the time. I mean,
0: uh, we we talk uh, to, to folks. I mean, they they wonder, should their application come here, come there, because they really wanted to go to this institute. And if we go into yours, it's not that's not the way it, it's too discrete. They just wanted to, we don't have any bearing on on which institute it goes to. So that's uh, a
1: that's a great lead yeah. into the next question I had. And I get asked this all the time uh, yeah, yeah. by trainees in particular, is they'll have a project and let's say it sort of spans scientifically, let's say it's pneumonia. And so that might involve a bacteria but it might also involve the lung. And so there's different institutes that may cover that and it may be, you know, NIAID that focuses on infections and it might be NHLBI that focuses on the lung. And I think, I don't wanna call it gamesmanship but as a part of this process, when they're thinking about how they wanna structure their grant, they may think, well, I'm gonna Google you know, and see that one institute is really prioritizing F32s and another, maybe not as much. And they'll sort of think about that when, as they're going through the process. And could you comment on it? Is that a bad idea? Should they reach out to the SRO? How should they sort of think about what you had just said when they're putting in their project?
0: That's that's wonderful. Well, we know it... (laughs) It's really challenging. And, and it's important to remember that, that the assi- as I mentioned before, it's important to the assigned study section for merit review is completely separate from uh, the selection of the funding institute. So where your application is reviewed has no bearing on those uh, that, that make the award decision. Uh, and again, this represents the, the independence of the two stages of review. So regarding targeting of, of particular funding institutes, these are conversations that Every applicant is going to want to have with the stage two where the assignments are made. So it's with the folks. So so really checking with the program officers that that, that represent that area of science. And 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 not all program officers are, are are made the same. So you know it's important to 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 see what. The institutes are interested in it and and I'm speaking as an outsider right now, so I'm kind of uh, shooting off the uh, off the hip here but but it, it's it, you want to be able to to see you know what their every institute has their their strategic priorities that they set up every year so so that they they try to to see what they're going to focus in on so it's it's good to 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 have that discussion to find out if uh, if they're there now so it is hard for me to comment. And the the, the one about pneumonia, that, that's an excellent example. So you know, w- with regard to, to study section review, I can tell you that that any one study section may review several applications that are related, like like pneumonia yet the applications have stage two assignments going to different institutes. And, and, and for instance, with the, with your n- pneumonia, uh, it, it could go to NHLBI for any reasons, uh, possibly if it's focused on, on on aspects of the lung that, that can do it, or, 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 or NIAID, if it's more focused on the immune system or even other ones that may be interested in, like like the, depending on the population. So National Institute of Aging may, may be interested in, it, in in it too. There are options and one should explore which institute may may be best aligned for it and, and which program officer possibly gets most excited about these types of things.
1: Oh, that's great. So I guess to kind of summarize, probably, and that was an, an interesting point, program officer for these types of questions rather than the SRO because it's sort of on that secondary stage.
0: Completely. And, and, and there is a firewall between the two. We try to keep it separate so that that that. When they come in, we can be a dispassionate person uh, or group that that looks at it really for the merit of the application and the merit of the science that's being proposed, and then send it off to see, you know, if if, if a program was really excited about the topic and they were to to review it themselves, you know, they may overlook something. So this is why the system is set up so that we're a dispassionate, a very objective group to look at at, at the merit of, of the application.
1: That makes complete sense. So reaching out to the program officers, having that discussion. Correct, correct. We've talked a lot about kind of the nuts and bolts and into the weeds of the grants, and I think that's extremely informative to our audience. We had a couple questions where we just kind of wanted to take a step back and look sort of more big picture at the National Institutes of Health. One of the questions that we had was, are there any efforts from the standpoint of how grant review works to diversify the pool of people getting funded? And by that, I mean diversity, not only in applicant race and ethnicity, socioeconomic status, geographic location, but also the types of institutions and projects that get funded. And so, you know, sometimes I think the public will think of, oh, the National Institutes of Health, we're looking at genomics, uh, you know, some basic science, but, you know, there's many other aspects of health. There's uh, health services and those types of things. And how is the NIH, you know, working on broadening sort of the pool? Sure. So... I can tell you that
0: again, the stage one versus stage two—that that that is more of a programmatic approach in terms of what applications get get funded. And, but I can tell you that that the NIH is very interested in, in, in broadening the pool and making it available to everybody. So, and, and along those lines, we represent that on the other side as well. So, we in in terms of of, of employing diversity in our study sections, it, it, it's a high priority. I think that 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 our goal is to evaluate the potential for high impact of every application. And and, and so for for doing such a thing, it's more than simply looking at the nuts and bolts of of the approach and the execution and and, and can they get it done. It's it's a should it be done. So so for that, we take advantage of sex and race and ethnicity and diversity of, of our entire population as we see it essential in capturing how research topics may impact anyone and and all different populations. So also, Another form of diversity is, is having reviewers who can speak to the benefits of, of, of a successful project and how it impacts different disciplines. So example, for, for clinicians to be involved in the review of something that that is, is highly technical, a computational omics-driven research ultimately designed to create resources to diagnose specific diseases at, at specific stages, you know... Y- y- some may may want to, you know, get experts to speak to the approach uh, because that's the most challenging, potentially the most challenging part. But we also need that voice of people from a higher level to say, what's the impact to the end user, to the person that's going to be using it, the person taking care of patients? So the impact of clinicians or end users would be valuable and and I would say, indeed, essential. So we also prioritize reviewers from a range of institutions. So uh, uh, we know that that it's it's not simply from from the top R1 institutions, but but other levels of it. So all uh, perspectives are valuable, and that may speak to who gets awarded at the end as well. So we work together with the, the NIH funding aspect of it uh, in, in review there.
1: Thank you, No, that's very enlightening, transparent, and helpful. So the next question we had was to to try and leverage kind of your high-level view at the NIH. Do you envision any major major changes in how the NIH is run over the next 5, 10, 20 years?
0: That's a good question. We're always trying to improve upon the things we do. I mean, so on, on the program side, it's advancing science. It's seeing where science takes us. And each of the institutes... Again, has their own strategic priorities that they establish for themselves in order to move forward. So, in terms of topics, they're going to be coming up with with new areas to be able to to forge into. And I, it's hard for me to speak to to what they they do there. The mechanisms that that they have or that we have access to may may change as well. But but that's that's for for, for them to determine. You know how best to to, to advance science and and through what mechanisms. So as a, as a member of of review staff, you know, regarding review, I can comment on a couple things. You know, the things that that where we've shifted accommodated for was in the past couple of years, the pandemic, certainly. There was a sudden stop of face-to-face meetings. I mean, and, and those of that that have been to a face-to-face meeting know that, that it's, it, I, I wouldn't say uncomfortably packed, but it's, it's certainly close quarters there. So all face-to-face meetings became virtual. Now that we're emerging from the curtain or, or from behind the screen, I should say now, oh, we, we, we are starting to have face-to-face meetings and study sections are, are starting to meet at least one time a year where they used to meet three times a year. So that's, that's a, a current evolving thing. You know, we've learned a lot on how to uh, do a study section meeting virtually, so NIH is evaluating now the ratio of, of how we do face-to-face, be it uh, Zoom and the combination of with Zoom and with face-to-face. So right now it's one time a year, and, and I can see that moving forward. There's also a new initiative regarding the scoring. So we do have the five scoring criteria, and and, and that's that's been used for a number of years now. And it's, it's taking into account a little bit more of the should it be done and can it be done, which, which may be simpler because it's, it's really just two questions as opposed to five uh, things there. So it, it's incorporating the five core criteria into into a simpler one, uh, two or three criteria critique. So this initiative is called Simplifying Review Criteria. And, and I ask huh? everyone to stay tuned, but in the meantime, you can Google uh, or, or do a web search uh, for NIH simplifying review criteria to see the progress. So that that is anticipated to be coming out where, where we are going to have a shift on, on the way that, that critiques are, are being uh, you know kind of directed uh, for the reviewers to 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 use. Oh,
1: that's very interesting. Yeah, no, I'm sure many of us will look that up. So we're coming towards the end. I certainly wanted to give you the last word. Do you have any advice for investigators who are submitting a grant to the NIH for the first time? Right.
0: So I think that that, you know, if you think about the two questions that 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 we constantly put forward, should it be done? OK, that's that's something that the institutes are are. are have most skin in on. They, they want to be able to award, support, impactful research. So getting aligned up with what they consider to be impactful is important. So I think that the first thing is uh, the, the topic of one's investigation should be one that the NIH buys in or at least gets excited about. So one should try to start off by looking at the institutes and saying, you know, uh, if, if your cool idea is thought to be cool by the folks that are supporting it, And and so contacting program officers or other other representatives of the funding institute is important. Once one considers what they want, what they're going to have their application based on then in terms of study section review it's important to write a compelling application that provides a good sense of the importance of the research topic and and, and get that out to, to the to the folks you know your application will go to a study section that can best appreciate the science that you're uh, providing so so really we do ask them to consider the significance and importance so that makes that that makes a big point a lot of people want to go directly into the approach and say i can do this and i can do this and I can do this. So, and and so once you have a compelling topic that you're you're addressing, then making sure that the approach is logical and well put together and rigorous. So, that's the the two things there. And one last thing is I'll give a plug to the early career reviewer Program It's called ECR, and I'm not sure if, if much of your audience is aware of that, but this is for early-stage investigators who are tenure-track uh, assistant professors who have not received yet their first substantial NIH award, and substantial means uh, essentially an, an R01, so it doesn't include F32s, K applications, or, or K awards, or things like that, but if prov- this ECR program provides an opportunity for those to, who haven't had you know, a substantial to sit in on a study section to see what does a good application look like, what does a, a not-so-strong application look like, and be able to, to get a better idea of how they can be successful. So I ask everyone to search for NIH early career reviewer and register there.
1: As someone who just participated as an early career reviewer a couple of weeks ago, I cannot recommend it more, I and mean, I absolutely agree with everything you say. It was extremely educational. That's wonderful.
0: That's wonderful. No, that
1: that's. I think that that you know sometimes
0: we think a study section review and and, and you get the most accomplished and, and most successful people to sit on them. They don't need to know this, you know. They already know how to be successful, but getting other folks to be able to sit in on it. Uh, I, I say that tongue in chick because we need those, those professionals to be able to uh, to to uh, uh, as thought leaders to be able to get their thoughts on these applications. But but it is important, I think, for for folks to be able to come on there and, and and see how this process works. So again, it's 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 taking a peek behind the curtain.
1: Dr. Carstea, I cannot thank you enough for your time and all of your excellent insight. And thank you to all of our listeners today for joining us. This episode of the Lung Science Podcast was brought to you by the American Journal of Respiratory Cell and Molecular Biology. If you would like to listen to more episodes of the podcast series, please visit atsjournals.org or subscribe to the Lung Science Podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play. Thanks again for listening. Please stay safe and have a great day.